Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. The flagship aircraft carrier, Prince Charles, is being cannibalized for spare parts. It has never worked since the day that it was launched, breaking down in port, breaking down a second time in the Isle of Wight, within eyeline of the people who'd seen it abortively launched in the first place. So wrecked is it that it is no longer functional. Well, sing hallelujah because it will not be able to be sent by the so-called foreign minister of the so-called European Union into the Taiwan Straits in startling developments over the last 24 hours. The foreign minister, Borrell, has declared that China is our frontier, that Taiwan is not part of China, even though his own government, all the governments of the European Union, the British government, the United States government, and the United Nations consider it so to be. But it can't be if it is our frontier, and yet that is what he has encouraged European navies to sail in the Taiwan Straits. Now, I've said this before, some people don't like it. Some people in China don't like it. But if I was running China, I would sink these ships. These ships have no business in China's internal affairs. Taiwan is an integral part of China. What China does in Taiwan is as much its business alone as what the United States government does in Texas is its business alone. Actually, even more, because Texas was stolen by the United States off Mexico in the first place. I'm not even talking about a comparison with Taiwan or Puerto Rico. I'm talking about an integral part of the Chinese People's Republic. At least that is what all the governments of the world considered to be the case. And yet, they ramp up and up and up the military and psychological pressure on China. And here's my guess. It will not end well for them, any better than it is ending well in the Ukraine. China will, I think, decide, perhaps has decided, that it is going to end this Taiwan problem before Taiwan gets any more pumped up with NATO weapons and is surrounded by more and more NATO naval assets. So it might just be a case of being careful what you wish for. I believe that China had no intention of taking back Taiwan into the motherland by force, but they may well be forced to do so if this continues. We'll see and keep it constantly under review. 
The war in Ukraine is going from bad to worse. The spring offensive that later became the summer offensive may now have been postponed until the autumn. The truth is, despite all the huffing and puffing of NATO capitals and the chanceries of Europe and North America, Ukraine is not in any position to take significant land back from the Russian forces that are now there in overwhelming numbers. And neither would the people of the territories now returned to the Russian motherland be prepared to accept it. That doesn't stop some of the stray dogs like the government of the United Kingdom constantly hyping for more. But Zelensky now to me looks a tired and beaten man already on the deck chair on the beach of his next port of call, which may be Florida, may be Tel Aviv, may be both of them. But the war drags on and the poor people of Ukraine are being sacrificed in what Robert Kennedy Jr. said this week was a proxy war. Kennedy is off and running with his presidential bid and he's made a terrific start. He demanded the release of Julian Assange and the dropping of all the charges against him. He declared that the Ukraine war in which his own grandson was a mercenary on the Ukrainian side to be that proxy war and vowed that if president he would end United States involvement in the war. All very important when you consider the big issues that we are going to consider tonight. I make no apology for the fact that tonight is more or less all about America, more or less all about the CIA, and here is why. The world changed at 9-11. No one could seriously doubt that. Everything that we are now facing, we are facing as a result of 9-11, of the subsequent invasions of Iraq and of Afghanistan, the disastrous occupations of both those countries, the desire to put in power in Libya and then in Syria, the very people who carried out the atrocity on 9-11 is something that historians will surely puzzle to explain to future generations. But if everything changed after 9-11 for everybody, then everybody has an interest in knowing exactly what happened on 9-11. How did it happen? Why did it happen? And who made it happen? This week, in journalism that would win a dozen Pulitzer Prizes, The Grey Zone, and Kit Clarenberg, the investigative journalist, countryman of mine, broke the news from court depositions in the United States that two of the hijackers on 9-11 were people working with the CIA. The word agents will explore, but they were in contact with and they were dealing with the CIA in the months and weeks and days and hours prior to the hijacking of those airplanes and the catastrophe that happened in New York, in Washington, and almost elsewhere on 9-11-2001.
If true, it is the biggest story ever. Think about that. If it is true that this disaster occurred not only because of the inability of the FBI and the CIA to engage in joined up writing, not only did it happen because of an insane rivalry between these two institutions, fundamental to the American Republic, but that one of those two institutions was running two of the people who boarded the aircraft and took control of them and flew them into the Twin Towers. That is the biggest story ever, isn't it? Because if true, it means potentially that this entire thing, either wittingly or unwittingly, was to an extent at least an inside job which would change the perceptions of everybody in the United States if only they were allowed to read it, if only they were allowed to see it. Well, on the mother of all talk shows, even if nowhere else, they will be able to hear and see from the author of the piece himself. The other CIA story is, if anything, more vitally, urgently, and contemporaneously important. I have hated the CIA all of my adult life. I first came into contact with them personally uh, when a man called Philip Agee ran for the rectorship at the university in the town where I lived and worked. He was, according to the CIA, my then party colleague, Brian Wilson, who was himself a former rector of the university, I think, he brought Philip Agee to Dundee and ran a spirited rectorial candidate. Sure. And I got to know a lot from Philip Agee about the inner workings of the Central Intelligence Agency. I then watched them in the many crimes that they have committed since I was 18 years old at the time. The CIA have committed crimes all over the world, but it is relatively new, at least from the second half of the 20th century, that they began committing them on a significant scale in the United States itself. The CIA was the organization that President John F. Kennedy promised to shatter into pieces and scatter, just before they shattered his head into pieces and scattered his brain on November 22, 1963, which is the date, I believe, that the American Republic died. Kennedy's anger was caused by the emergence of the obvious truth that they had been lying to him about the Bay of Pigs fiasco when mercenaries coordinated, paid for, and militarily assisted by the United States of America invaded and tried to occupy Cuba, were roundly defeated by the Cuban people and President Kennedy gravely embarrassed. The CIA killed John F. Kennedy in my view. I believe they also killed Martin Luther King. I believe they also killed Malcolm X. I believe they also killed Robert Kennedy Sr. on his way, surely 
to becoming President of the United States. That's a lot of very high crimes indeed in just one decade in the 1960s. And they didn't stop lying, cheating, stealing and killing and rigging ever since. Now this week, a mild-mannered man called Morrill, not to be confused with the rabid dog Borrell, who is the foreign affairs chief at the European Union, revealed under testimony to the Security and Intelligence Committee of the US Congress that he had been tasked by Antony Blinken, now the Secretary of State of the United States of America, but then merely a head functionary of Joe Biden's presidential campaign, to spin the lie and organize a conspiracy to spin the lie that Hunter Biden's laptop was an act of Russian disinformation, knowing that to be untrue. In fact, everyone involved, including the FBI, knew that that was untrue from the beginning. And thus, a conspiracy to deceive the American public through the American media, legacy media, as well as the so-called alternative media, social media, because Twitter was up to its eyeballs at that time in this conspiracy. The moral CIA, he was then acting director of the agency. The moral CIA set about their job with gusto. They rounded up no less than 51 senior, many of them famous, three of them former directors general of the CIA, to go on the front page of every newspaper and every single news bulletin on every channel in the United States of America to say that the Hunter laptop story was a piece of Russian disinformation and should be entirely disregarded. In fact, the New York Post, which broke the story in the first place, had its Twitter account taken down for persisting that its story was true. Many people had their accounts blocked on Twitter and on Facebook for insisting that this story was true. And in fact, it became impossible in the closing weeks of a presidential campaign to talk about on mainstream media or on social media a story of such grave importance that it cannot but have influenced the outcome of the presidential race in 2020. Because what was in Hunter Biden's laptop was not just utterly devastating in public relation terms about the crack-smoking, whore-using son of the putative president of the United States of America, but many more damning things than that. Many more damning things than that. Including, but not excluding many others, the existence of a big guy, Mr. 10%, who had to get his beat into 10% of everything that was being earned were in Ukraine. The corrupt business enterprise 
of Hunter Biden in Ukraine had a Mr. Big. That Mr. Big may or may not have been Joe Biden, though it's difficult to see who else it could have been because it transpires that Hunter Biden's business partner in Ukraine made dozens of visits, dozens of visits to the vice president's office in the White House when Joe Biden was vice president and with plenty potentially powers in the Ukraine. So if Joe Biden were to be revealed in this laptop story to have been on the take in Ukraine, to have been Mr. Big, the big guy in the Ukraine, if he were to have been revealed, to have been corruptly, secretly, undeclared, receiving vast subventions of money from an Eastern European country, wouldn't that put a different coat of paint on subsequent events between the United States and Ukraine? But that never had the chance to happen. Mueller was very honest. He told the committee that he had received the orders from Blinken and he had carried them out to the best of his ability because, and I quote him, I wanted Vice President Biden to win the election. This is the acting director general of the Central Intelligence Agency engaging in a criminal conspiracy because he wanted Vice President Biden to win the presidential election. Thus, this week, it can be safely concluded that the 2020 presidential election was stolen. Maybe, brackets, maybe, not in the way that Donald Trump alleged, but that it was stolen is now clear beyond any reasonable contradiction. It was stolen by interference in the American electoral process, not by Russian intelligence, but by American intelligence. We'll be talking to the one and only Chris Hedges about that and much more. Get your seatbelts on. Told you it was going to be a bumpy ride. This is the mother of all talk shows. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST.
You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Now we've got a poll running, my goodness. I've never seen a more one-sided poll, but you might still want to vote. 13,000 people have voted already and the show has only just begun. Is the CIA a force for good or evil? On Twitter, where 1,536 people have so far voted, 6% say it's a force for good, but that's as good as it gets for the CIA. 94% a force for evil. On YouTube, where 1,103 people have voted so far, 4% say it's a force for good, 96% say it's a force for evil. On Telegram, always the most perspicacious of our pollsters, it is... 1% good, 99% evil. And on the YouTube community poll, where 9,700 people have so far voted, it is 3% good, 97% evil. Now, uh, if it was a fair and just playing field, we'd have two Pulitzer Prize winners on the show tonight. As it was so far, we've only got one. That's Chris Hedges. But... My first guest would definitely win it. To call him an investigative reporter is like calling Ronaldo a footballer. He is the best investigative reporter, certainly working within the British Isles at this point in our rather shrunken history, to be fair. He is Kit Clarenberg of the crack outfit, Grey Zone News. And without him and without them, we would be so much worse off in terms of knowledge. Kit broke the story about the possible CIA engagement of two of the 9-11 hijackers. I'm glad to say he joins us now. Kit, welcome uh, to the show. For those that haven't yet read your piece, and that will be most people because the story has been suppressed, basically, by the so-called mainstream media. Summarize what you found, please. Sure. So this is based on a, a a court filing which was released by the Office of Military Commissions, which is overseeing the the trials of nine eleven um, defendants um, like Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the alleged mastermind. Um, but yes, uh, it, in effect, it vindicates and, and confirms and expands upon long-held um, suspicions about the CIA's relationship with two hijackers, um, uh, at least two hijackers, Al-Hazmi and Al-Midar. Um, they entered the US on multi-entry US visas, which they probably shouldn't have gotten in the first place. They were under heavy surveillance by the CIA, well, a, an elite unit within the CIA known as Alex Station. Um, which was set up in 1996 specifically to track al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. Um, And it was a joint effort between the CIA and the FBI, although the FBI were were, uh, prohibited from sharing information uh, gleaned by the unit without authorization. So they they, they entered the US, which shouldn't have happened. Uh, The FBI representatives within Alex Station demanded to tell the Bureau that they were there, and they were overruled and told it wasn't their jurisdiction. Um, Immediately upon arrival within the US, they made contact with this rather shadowy, mysterious figure called Omar al-Bayoumi, who uh, appears to have been a Saudi intelligence agent. Uh, And um, he very quickly helped 
Midar and, and, and Hazmi um, get an apartment and he gave them um, thousands of dollars um, and uh, it seems to have had n- multiple um, uh, contacts with them in the months uh, leading up up to 9-11. Um, the, 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 the most curious striking aspect of the filing is the a detail on the extraordinary level of protection provided to these two men by uh, Alex, Alex Station. Um, the FBI was repeatedly rebuffed um, in, in its attempts to tell headquarters about this you know, rather, rather disturbing development. Um, but not only that, they sought to misdirect the bureau um, and uh, gave them uh, misleading information, refused to answer basic questions. It raises the very obvious question of whether these two these these two hijackers, if not others, were working for the CIA in effect um, uh, on the day of 9-11 itself. Now, these two individuals had attended the summit uh, of uh, Al-Qaeda in Kuala Lumpur a summit which had been copiously photographed uh, by the CIA. Uh, everyone who attended it, in fact, it was even recorded. Uh, I don't know if it was the audio that didn't work or the visual that didn't work. One of them didn't work, but they had audio or visual of everyone who attended it. And yet, they were still allowed to make use of the visas that they got in extraordinary circumstances and fly to California, what would be an innocent explanation of that? Uh, there is none, uh, you know, no, what, whatsoever. I mean, I think it's it's worth underlining the context here. Um, if throughout 1999, um, that the national security officials within the U.S were extremely worried about large-scale terror attacks in the US because they felt it would be extremely easy to do. Uh, they used the phrase um, that all the lights were blinking red. And these fears came to pass um, uh, with the Millennium Plot um, in, in, in California itself. I mean, you know, what could be you know, a, a, a greater reason for preventing um, uh, potential terror suspects from entering the US than a large-scale plot being foiled mere weeks before these two arrived? Um, and, uh, the, I mean, it, it must be said that suspicions uh, about uh, Hazmi and Midar's relationship with the CIA um, are longstanding. They have been voiced by, of all people, Richard Clark, who was a White House national security advisor under Bill Clinton, who was summarily and almost immediately demoted um, upon the Bush administration taking office in January 2001. Um, he, he records how he continued to have high-level meetings with CIA officials throughout 2001, and the issue of these two hijackers never ever came up. Um, the you know, Al Qaeda was discussed at these meetings, uh, but no, uh, he was never ever told. Uh, if at any point, I mean, there was no attempt made by the by the hijackers at any point to uh, cover their tracks. I mean, there, some of their neighbours recall how they they um, they got no furniture and they sat on mattresses all day playing flight simulator. And at night, sometimes they would be picked up by limousines. And at one point, they were living with an FBI. Informant. I mean, you know, it, it, it's really quite extraordinary. It, it, it's it's the stuff of a, a, a movie, uh, really. And so, yeah, there the, there is no innocent explanation. I mean, at best, you could say, well, um, in order to uh, uh, gather intelligence on Al Qaeda, they were allowing these people to um, move around and uh, act uh, with impunity. But then why would you not tell the FBI? That doesn't make any sense. Um, Moreover, why would you actively misdirect the FBI? There was something deeper and darker there. I'm absolutely sure of it. You say it would be the stuff of a movie. In a way, it was uh, the looming tower 
which uh, I found uh, profoundly impressive, powerful. Uh, of course, uh, tell some of this story, uh, but without the knowledge that you have unearthed. Uh, but it kind of puts it down, although you're left to wonder, uh, to a cock-up rather than a conspiracy. Could this all just have been about uh, the rivalry, institutional rivalry, indeed hatred, uh, between the FBI and the CIA, uh, bureaucratic uh, line drawing and so on, rather than an actual conspiracy by the CIA to allow these people to commit the crimes that they did. Well, I mean, it's, funnily enough, it's a, it's a well-worn movie trope, the, uh, the evil CIA and the uh, uh, beneficent and uh, crusading bureau. I mean, the FBI are, are, of course, scum. And in the wake of 9-11, we're engaged in all sorts of absolutely horrific um, Islamophobic, racist profiling, um, setting innocent people up uh, for terror attacks to validate the, the notion and the narrative that the US was um, under a, a massive terror threat in order to justify the war on terror abroad, which were, you know, long planned wars of, of imperial plunder. I mean, uh, yeah, it, it does seem, though, that there were some genuinely um, independent, enterprising and um, uh, truth-seeking uh, bureau operatives who were um, you know, trying to get to the bottom of this. There was one um, named in the filing, uh, sorry, listed in the filing, they're, they're, they're given a pseudonym, who recalls how he, they found in an FBI computer system an electronic warning, in, in this is in late August, I think it's August 23rd, um, uh, warning that, that Hasmi and Midar were in the US. Um, they immediately contacted the analyst who'd written it, who was an FBI analyst within within Alex Station called Diana Corsi, and um, uh, asked her for more information. She reportedly got extremely angry and demanded him to delete it because he wasn't allowed to see it. The very next day, he was told by FBI superiors to leave it alone and not go anywhere near it. Now, another pseudonymous um, bureau source within the within the court filing refers to how very, very quickly after 9-11, high-ranking high, uh, high FBI officials found out um, about the CIA's contact with Hazmi and Midar, and indeed uh, the, the fact that the Bayoumi was a Saudi intelligence official, and they buried it, and they specifically instructed um, uh, bureau uh, operatives who were testifying to a joint inquiry into 9-11 to lie and conceal this information. Um, and yes, it rem this remained buried for over, over two decades subsequently. So yes, I think we can cast aside any um, uh, delusions that the that the FBI at, at a high level was, you know, an innocent uh, party in all this. Well, I asked you what an innocent explanation would be. What would the, a guilty explanation uh, be? Uh, I suppose the the converse or inverse of the point that you made was that the CIA wanted to uh, keep track of these people. Uh, let them into the country, see who they were meeting, what they were up to, with a view to puncturing any plot that they had at a later date and rounding up a bigger fish. But they didn't do that. Uh, and these two men that were playing on a mattress with flight simulator all day and every day in their apartment went on to seize airplanes and fly them into the Twin Towers. I mean, who's going to pay for that? 
Yeah, I mean, it, this is another remarkable aspect of uh, of 9-11 in general, is that, yes, there seems to have been a wide-ranging um, financial infrastructure supporting um, these hi these hijackers' activities. Um, no real evidence of it has ha has emerged. Um, it does seem that the that Saudi Arabia was funding um, ostensible Islamic cultural um, and religious centres, which were actually um, <laughs> raising funds for, for terror attacks. But by and large, uh, uh, yeah, the hijackers paid for everything themselves, and they did so with credit cards in their own names. So, I mean, if anyone was watching their financial records, they would know that they booked the specific flights um, that, that that were, were that were purportedly flown into the twin towers and 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 the Pentagon. Um, and they would have known that they were paying flight lessons. I mean, again, you know, what could be more suspicious than that? The idea that the CIA wouldn't have had at least some sense with such a close eye being kept on the activities of Midar and Hazmi. And, and indeed, um, Bayoumi's funding and support of them being done at the CIA's direct behest, which is one of the most explosive uh, disclosures from, from the filing. Uh, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, ultimately... The, the, um, the American power structure had an enormous amount to, to gain um, from from 9-11. From I mean, it, you know, throughout the 90s, various neocon figures um, such as Zygmunt Brzezinski and, you know, the, the people involved with, with Project for a New American Century, the kind of um, neocon shark tank. Um, they use this phrase over and over again that um, in order to uh, extend American power and to upgrade American defences, it was necessary for a new Pearl Harbor to occur, um, and they got one um, on 9/11, um, <laughs> and then some. I mean, everything they've been planning for and wanting, i.e., a massive expansion of the security and surveillance state at home and uh, a justification for long-planned invasions of Afghanistan and Iraq um, was handed to them on a platter. And I think that one of the one of the most remarkable um, kind of post-9-11 aspects of, of this is that you know, various people uh, attached to Alex Station um, ended up heavily involved in the war on terror. Um, one individual in particular uh, it became um, in, 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 sorry, um, intimately um, involved in running the, uh, the CIA's uh, torture program. It's increasingly clear that the purpose of this program was to get false testimony out of terror suspects, again, to justify the war on terror. Um, the, the, the CIA, quote-unquote, on intelligence that, that Iraq, Iraq was linked to 9-11 linked came from a torture victim. Him, and they knew very, very well that he'd given them false information, but they passed it on anyway to justify the policy. Now, if you are a member of Alex Station at any level, let alone at the higher reaches, which where the people involved in the torture program were, you are a prime suspect in 9-11 by definition. Um, but then you would go on to be the chief interrogator of the purported suspects. I mean, it gives a whole new meaning to that well-worn idiom of a, of, a, of, a, of a fox guarding a chicken coop. Um, they could, could effectively force these people to say anything. And the public's entire understanding of 9-11, the logistics, the planning, the people involved, comes from torture and therefore can probably be discounted. What actually happened, we don't know and may never do. Well, that's certainly the darkest interpretation, but uh, all of the evidence is, is leading in that direction, uh, that some at least in the national security state in the United States wanted some kind of Pearl Harbor incident. Now, when people used to come on my show and, uh, and make that point, I used to uh, brush it away because 
it seemed to me that if the United States, at any level, was guilty of involvement in an attack on its own people uh, in the Twin Towers, that it would bring about the destruction of the whole political system in the U.S., in, in governance, in the, in the, uh, the two parties uh, in the Congress. Uh, I, I used to think it simply incredible, literally incredible, that the U.S. could have been involved in this attack on 9-11. Uh, but the more that we discover from efforts such as yours, it begins to be inescapable that at least some in the security state actually wanted something like this to happen. Indeed. And I, th I mean, you've got to bear in mind that one of the most striking aspects of 9-11 that's never ever talked about is actually how um, staggeringly low the death toll was. I mean, it's the largest death of, of US citizens since the Civil War. And, you know, I mean, it, it was a tragedy, of course. But I mean, the, the World Trade Center was effectively a vertical city. It had hotels in it with, with you know, hundreds and hundreds of rooms. It had restaurants, um, it, uh, all sorts of tourist areas. It housed um, about 100,000 workers from, you know, all, all sorts of major, you know, finance and tech firms. It attracted well over 100,000 tourists every single day. Um, and it was thought for at least a year, if not longer, after the attacks, that uh, the deaths had been in the tens of thousands. Um, actually, it was it was just over three thousand. Okay, so uh, one of the reasons for that was the plane struck very high, and they struck before most people had gotten to work at eight forty-five. You know, i.e., you know, nine a.m. would be when people start arriving um, to their offices and when tourists start arriving. So, um, yeah, uh, a few floors lower and a, a few hours later, you have tens of thousands of people who aren't getting out um, in the Pentagon. Twenty thousand people were in the building. The death count was one hundred and eighty-nine. Uh, most mostly low-level staff and cleaners and builders, because it struck an, a, a, a portion of the building that was under refurbishment and effectively abandoned. And not a single senior Pentagon um, official was even vaguely injured by this. Um, and I mean, we we see. I mean, we saw from Pearl Harbor. Uh, you know, the the, the direct um, uh, the the direct impact. Of an, of an attack on the US is a huge level of support for the government and a huge level of support for foreign adventurism. Um, you know, I mean, it's often forgotten how uh, rigidly and, and, and viscerally opposed to involvement in World War II the US public was. I think some polls um, in 1940, after the fall of France, put uh, opposition to US entry at over 90%. Uh, you know, this was seen as a, um, a tussle in a faraway land about which we know nothing. And so it, it was quite reasonable to expect that in the wake of not in the wake of 9/11, particularly with the the maximum visual impact of the two of the two towers, which was such a, a symbol of of the U.S. and New York, um, it, 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 it was reasonable to assume that there would be a huge amount of public support for a response of some kind. I mean, yes, within mere hours, uh, major news networks were um, you know declaring that this was the work of Osama bin Laden, who had been steadily, particularly since the USS Cold Bombing in 1998, built up as this Bond villain supremo who posed a mortal threat to the US. Um, and then, you know, 9-11 was this playing out in real time. And it did play out over and over and over again. Um, I remember it very well in the UK. That was you know, blanket coverage of, of the smoking towers collapsing um, for quite some time afterwards. Uh, it was a very, very, very effective 
um, tool of uh, of influence. Finally, uh, has this got any coverage in the United States in the mainstream media? Uh, no, it hasn't. I mean, uh, the, I mean, the, the response uh, on, on on social media um, has been absolutely extraordinary, and um, I, I, you know, I, I have personally fielded dozens of of interview requests for this. So, I mean, it, 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 it's somewhat a testament to the waning power of um, of the mainstream media. They can no longer suppress this stuff. I mean, the, the last year, a large number of um, of documents related to the FBI's investigation of 9-11, which contained all sorts of bombshell information about Saudi involvement um, and the, the hijackers' contact with Saudi intelligence agents were declassified. This is in the public domain. It was completely ignored. Um, it's the work of independent researchers, independent citizen journalists, and you know, just, I mean, you know, average angry citizens to get this stuff out there um, and you know, ask questions and pressure um, um, people in power to provide them. Well, you may not get a Pulitzer Prize, but you've definitely got the mother of all talk shows prize for investigative Thank you very much. Clarenberg, thank you very much for joining us. God bless you, George. The mother thank you. of all talk shows. Thank you so much. Is the CIA a force for good or evil? Christopher Kruger says the National Security Act of 1947, which formed the CIA and the NSA, was ill-conceived and probably unconstitutional. Note that the United States has not declared war since 1943, but instead launches unconstitutional, illegal wars of aggression for Wall Street and U.S. hegemony. And Andy says the CIA's involvement in the overthrow of governments in Latin America, the lies which saw the Iraq war based on the assassination of JFK bringing about absolute death and destruction in Vietnam, and the probability that some of the 9-11 hijackers were being paid by the CIA stroke Saudi organization of absolute psychopaths. Paul MacDonald says, as the now skinny Mike Pompeo said, the CIA lies. And thanks to, big thanks to new legends on my Patreon. Uh, that's Teresa Kelly, my old friend, Jimbo Eldor Jr., David Nimmo, and Francis Lucero. And uh, Blaine Dillman, a new Moats graduate, who says, please keep up the struggle and stay gold. One man who is solid gold is my next guest. If Foggy Bottom wasn't so muddy, Chris Hedges would be in there as the Secretary of State. As it is, he has to make do with the mother of all talk shows, and I'm very glad that he joins us now. You could say, Chris, that this is a kind of... CIA special this evening. Uh, let's deal with morals whistleblowing before the committee uh, first. Um, on many levels, it was quite extraordinary testimony. He openly stated that he had done what he had done uh, for the obvious reason that he wanted Vice President Biden to win. In other words, he, was, he wanted to defeat the incumbent president, but more importantly, that the man who told him to do what he then did was none less than Anthony Blinken, the usurper who's in your chair at state right now. What did you make of it? Yes, it was a fascinating moment uh, uh, that uh, we caught three different moments in that testimony where uh, you're we're talking about the, intelli the letter signed by 50 intelligence or former intelligence officials claiming that the Hunter Biden laptop was 
Russian, uh, you know, had all the hallmarks, I think was the word of Russian propaganda. But it just shows, I think, was just a brief glimpse of how the establishment organs, including the CIA, worked along with Silicon Valley and most of the press to ensure that Biden was elected over Trump. I'm, I'm not a Trump supporter. Indeed, I'm quite critical of Trump. However, he challenged the monolithic power of that deep state, uh, and it has brought back into power uh, people like Blinken, Sullivan, the National Security Agency, and et cetera, all of Victoria Nuland, who serves Republican or Democrat, it doesn't matter. So they're back in control, and this was just a, a brief window into how they operate below the surface, the, where most of us, of course, can't see. Well, of course, uh, the press has the right to be biased, has the right to uh, want one candidate to win rather than another. But this was a conspiracy, wasn't it? Because these people knew that the laptop was not Russian disinformation. They knew, because the FBI had had it for an entire year, that what was in it was true. Well, and they also knew that Trump wasn't a Russian agent. Uh, I mean, the, it's lie upon lie upon lie, uh, which began almost immediately when Trump was elected. And this was just one more example of how the public was being spun uh, that, you know, with the idea that Russia, Russian bots or, uh, you know, Russian agents were somehow distorting our political system. And this is a way to avoid dealing with the grotesque social inequality and suffering that's been visited on the country by deindustrialization, furthered by both parties, uh, war, the permanent war, furthered by both parties. Uh, and, and it just is a kind of classic deflection uh, away from where the real malaise lies. And, the, and that malaise is uh, the, the, the kind of uh, seizing up of our democracy, the, the seizure of control of all of the institutions, including the press, of course, that, uh, that should work in a functioning democracy and making them completely subservient to the billionaire class and corporate power. And that's true with both parties. But the CIA, I mean, I mentioned in my introduction, my early 18-year-old meeting with Philip Agee, uh, the runaway CIA agent, whistleblower, we'd now call him, uh, who persuaded me, if I needed persuading, that this was an agency out of control, uh, who probably murdered the Republic itself on the 22nd of November 1963 in the murder most foul, and went on to commit a whole series of murders, assassinations, coup d'etats, ballot rigging around the world, and so on. Uh, surely someone is capable, or at least willing, to try and bring this hydra-headed monster under control. This is St. George's Day. St. George slew the dragons. Who will slay the dragon of the CIA? Well, they're, they're unaccountable and uncontrollable. Uh, the CIA always functioned... Uh, as both an intelligence-gathering arm and a paramilitary, clandestine paramilitary force. It's now primarily a clandestine paramilitary force that engages in torture and black ops and runs black sites around the globe. 
And people within the centers of power that attempt to confront them are dealt with very ruthlessly. If you go back and remember Feinstein tried to do the report on torture, and even uh, she came out quite ashen in that final press conference because all of her computers were hacked, they denied the information, they, uh, they carried out all sorts of threats. Uh, so to take on the, this institution uh, is, ex, ex, it's, you know, we don't, I, don't, I don't have a theory on who killed JFK, but there are some very serious questions, including, of course, putting Alan Dulles, who was a psychopath uh, and hated Kennedy, on the Warren Commission. I mean, the, the, I think there's certainly, uh, the, it, it, we don't, it, it's a legitimate uh, question as to whether the CIA was involved in the murder of, of Kennedy. Uh, and not just Kennedy, but all sorts of CIA officials throughout the years who attempted to speak out, including uh, carrying out experiments on other CIA officials, giving them hallucinogenic drugs, uh, running all sorts of black ops. Going back to the 50s, Steve Kinzer wrote a very good book about this called Poisoner in Chief, uh, carrying out mind control experiments at McGill universities where people were reduced to kind of babbling uh, idiots in fetal positions. I mean, the, the whole kind of uh, sophistication or professionalization, the engineering of torture, all of this came out of the CIA. These are all tools that they use. So uh, it, it's, it, it is, uh, you know, it, it is part of the kind of corporate coup d'etat because, of course, the military industrial complex, I would say, owns the CIA, which Bobby Kennedy Jr. in his uh, in his announcement for his presidential run quite correctly pointed out. We'll come to him uh, in a minute. Uh, what did you think of the gray zones uh, breaking news uh, about uh, further evidence? Let's say further evidence, perhaps not yet conclusive, uh, that the CIA was uh, running at least two of the uh, hijackers on 9-11 that brought devastation, not just to New York City, but to, in the end, the whole world. Well, this, these are the hijackers that, there were these hijackers out in California that were clearly being supported. They were getting Saudi money. They were clearly getting Saudi protection, Saudi help. Uh, you know, to what extent was the Saudi intelligence service working with the American intelligence service? They have a very close relationship like the Israelis, these are all legitimate questions uh, because there was very, very heavy Saudi involvement without question. And not just in terms of the fact that I think it was 11 of the 19 were Saudis, uh, but that they were funded uh, and supported and protected by the Saudis. That's, 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 I, I covered Al-Qaeda. I covered after 9-11. I covered all of the hijackers, everything they did. That, 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 fa that is a fact. Where it goes beyond that, I don't know. But the, those questions, again, deserve to be raised and answered. Let's turn to Bobby Kennedy. Call me sentimental. Call me a Catholic. Uh, but I have a very soft spot for the Kennedy families, particularly those that were slain. Uh, and so I'm hoping against hope uh, that, first of all, Robert Kennedy Jr. survives this campaign. Uh, but secondly, that he wins it. What are his chances? How has he started, in your view? Well, I listened to his announcement, uh, which I thought was good. Uh, the, but then go back and read the press reports of the announcement, including in the New York Times. It was a savage kind of 
attack on uh, character assassination of Kennedy, focusing, what they do is focus on the vaccine issue uh, to attempt to uh, paint him as a nut. I mean, the whole New York Times article, that's all they talked about. He talked about many other things, the environment, uh, permanent war, uh, the corporate uh, seizure of government power. These were all in his, and those were all ignored. So one, you'll have the press uh, uh, working day and night to the mainstream press, the establishment press, legacy press to destroy him, uh, that they've already begun. Uh, he's also has constrained, I think, by running as a Democrat. He has to sign a loyalty oath, as Bernie Sanders did to the Democratic Party. So what happens if once again the Democratic National Committee, as they did with Sanders, rig the primaries uh, to uh, put Biden in power? Biden isn't going to do it and have announced, by the way, the Biden administration and the Democratic Party said they will do no debates. Uh, and the Democratic National Committee has always come, already come out and endorsed Biden. So he's going to have the Democratic Party establishment against him. The press is going to uh, paint him as a kind of kook, uh, a figure of ridicule. They, you know, Dennis Kucinich announced his, uh, Dennis is a good friend of mine. I like Dennis very much and admire him. Uh, but they did the same thing to, to Dennis. Uh, and, uh, and so it's going to be a real battle. And the question is, if he's not the nominee, does he then do what Sanders did, which is essentially tell those people who supported him that they should vote for Biden? I, I, I hope we don't go down that black hole again. Um, uh, you know, what's that great line from Samuel Johnson, the triumph of hope over experience? We've we've seen twice now in the Sanders campaign how uh, vicious and underhanded the Democratic National Committee is. And remember, Biden is a very weak candidate. He's He's polling neck and neck. In some polls, Trump is ahead. Uh, he's, he ha clearly, clearly has cognitive issues. Uh, you know, the things he reads off his teleprompter, he just keeps reading, you know, turn right, turn left, you know, this kind of stuff. He's clearly not all there. Uh, and, uh, and so they know they have an extremely weak candidate that they're going to put forward. And so I think the tactics will be, uh, you know, brutal and ruthless, uh, perhaps even more ruthless than when Sanders was running, and, and, uh, and if Bobby gets any traction, they're going to, all of those forces are going to conspire against him. It's not either or, though, is it? You can run for the Democratic nomination and then announce a third party uh, a candidature. If you can, if you violate the loyalty oath. Remember, Trump refused to take the loyalty oath, uh, which is probably what Kennedy should do. Uh, and, that, and maybe he will do that, but that would be the right tactic. Uh, but once you take that loyalty oath, you kind of are beholden. Yes, that's right. He could he could not take the loyalty oath and run a third party campaign. Remember, I, you know, he I, how much infrastructure he has, how much money he has. He's never run for political office before. Uh, he's gonna. I, I've worked with third party campaigns going all the way back to Nader. I was Nader's speechwriter, uh, and have not voted for a Democrat since two thousand. Uh, but I've seen how uh, effective. It, 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 uh, it, they are in, in marginalizing, discrediting, and and silencing third parties. Howie Hawkins, who's a great labor organizer, uh, was completely blanked out. He got less, I, I think, uh, kind of, uh, he, he got less uh, focus or, or, or less attention than Jill Stein. I mean, Jill Stein largely got attention because they were demonizer, like they did as they demonized Nader. Yeah. So he's he's running into a buzzsaw. He's 
he's uh, which is I don't, he's obviously very intelligent. He, he probably knows what he's running into, but it isn't going to be pretty because uh, they, they I think there's a clear recognition within the Democratic Party that Biden is very, very vulnerable uh, and, and could lose. I mean, nobody wants most people don't want a replay of Trump or Biden. Uh, uh, but that's uh, from at least we're what, how many 18 months out or something. That's that appears to be what we're going to get. Uh, so that presupposes that no one else. What about if Kennedy's candidature proves to be a stalking horse for someone else uh, to enter the race? Because there cannot be a Democrat alive outside of uh, the White House bedroom uh, who thinks that Joe Biden can survive another bruising election campaign, avoiding everyone, avoiding debate, and right. then serving four years. I mean, at the end of four years, <laughs> how, how much will he drool at the end of another uh, four-year term? Mightn't there be well, they don't, they don't, a third it, candidate? I don't, I mean, the Democratic Party will work very hard to make sure there isn't, certainly among the establishment ranks, they won't see a third party candidate. They'll crush it. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is what, of course, Obama's role was essentially to shut out all the other candidates to make sure that Biden, who at the initial, remember when Biden began the campaign, he was, he had no traction at all. So they, they will intervene to, to pressure and push out uh, candidates, uh, certainly within the Democratic Party that might challenge. I don't think we're going to see a lot of challenges because they can't afford it. Uh, and, and I expect that they are going to be uh, quite uh, uh, rough with uh, Kennedy. It's going to be very, very nasty, and the press is going to play its part once again, uh, and they're going to seize on uh, tangential issues uh, to essentially shut out his main message, which is correct, and that is that we've undergone a kind of corporate coup d'etat in slow motion. Uh, and that fusion of government and state power is now absolute. I mean, that really is his main campaign message in which he seeks to break apart. Uh, but that message is going to have a very hard time getting out. I, I take all of those points, of course, especially coming from you. But uh, that's what they tried to do with Donald Trump, and it didn't stop him winning. Yeah, but, you, but Trump played to a different constituency. That's the difference. So you have the democratic liberal elites, educated liberal urban elites that essentially control the democratic party. And, uh, and so what they are, they, they are driven of course by fear, fear of any disruption of this system. So they are gonna get solidly behind Biden. This isn't an ideological battle, it's a battle where they are going to cling in every way they can to the privilege and power and position they have, both economic and political. That's the difference. Whereas Trump was appealing to the disenfranchised, legitimately disenfranchised, those through deindustrialization and the slashing of austerity or slashing of social programs, austerity, destruction of welfare, uh, when 70% of the original recipients on welfare, this was done by Clinton, by the way, were children. So it's a different constituency. And Trump is, uh, gives expression to that, I would call it legitimate rage on the part of the disenfranchised. That is not the power center of the Democratic Party. Trump will be hoping that Kennedy runs as a, th a third party candidate, won't he? Because 
the very least, uh, he's going to take some votes, maybe a lot of votes from Joe Biden. Yeah, that would be. Uh, yeah, I think if he runs as a third party candidate, he's obviously a far more attractive candidate than than uh, than Joe Biden and uh, and splitting that vote, which is already uh, it's it's already virtually even. Uh, would be devastating to the Biden campaign, which is why, of course, they will uh, be so virulent about uh, trying to bring down Kennedy as quickly as they can. Chris Hedges, as always, you're a gentleman and a scholar. Thanks for joining us on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The mother of all talk shows. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Let's go up the lines then to Michigan, where Andrew wants to talk about Donald Trump. Andrew, welcome. Hi, George. This is Andrew Kingman. I'm yes. a full-blooded Indian from Michigan, was a lifelong Democrat, okay. been a Catholic all my life, and, and uh, we got that in common. But as a lifelong Democrat, I could not vote for Hillary Clinton. Donald Trump uh, got me curious. And why were all these mainstream Republicans against him? He beat 17 of them, to tell you the truth, and all the big money that supported them. So Mm -hmm. by that... uh, I voted for uh, the last person I voted for in the Democratic Party, which was uh, Barack Obama. Now I realize he was a Manchurian candidate. And as long as the media acts the way it does, any candidate the Democrats put out is that Manchurian candidate. So that's what I believe there. So that's why. What do you think about Bobby Kennedy's run? Uh, he give cover to Hillary Clinton as working under her in the State Department. So that says it there, too. He had access to... Bobby Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, I'm talking about Bobby Kennedy Jr. He did not work for Hillary Clinton. He didn't work in the State Department? As far as I know, not. Okay, well, then I might be misinformed there. But yeah. anyway, well, let, let's both uh, of us let's can. both of us uh, study that. But uh, okay, I would have thought will. the last place in the world he would have worked uh, would be for Hillary Clinton in the State Department. As far as I know, he's been a private sector lawyer working on environmental cases, fighting uh, corporate corruption uh, all of his professional life. Andrew, I think you've got that one wrong. But thanks for the call. Very nice to hear from our friends in Michigan. I've spoken there many times, have some good friends there. Mike is in Liverpool, where I've got even more good friends. Go ahead, Mike. Hello, George. How are you doing? 
By the grace of God, good. What would you like to say, Mike? Well, basically, I'm um, not much different in age than yourself. Um, I've always loved Liverpool. It's my home. And mm -hmm. I'll certainly fight for it. But what I won't fight for is any of this crowd that I'm in at the moment. Um, I'm just yeah. Why, why aren't we spending? Why aren't we spending? Yeah. Why are we not spending our money on building infrastructure and improving conditions in places like Liverpool? Why are we sending our money to Kupiansk instead? Exactly. Why? Why is it going everywhere else apart from their own people? Mm -hmm. This is what well, I it's can't a, it's understand. The quality, it's the quality of government that we've got. It's the quality of opposition that we've got. It's the quality exactly. of we mass media that opposition. we've got. No, mass media. They made sure of that. Or, they made or, sure of that. They destroyed the. They destroyed the opposition. And all of the media that we've got is literally what I'm watching now is media that is not mass media, but it is mass media in the respects of our country and the people who actually believe in our country. And that is what we're going well, to I find. Well, I think that you've, uh, yeah, you've touched on uh, an important point. I should correct myself in calling it mass media. Uh, Rupert Murdoch's talk TV is not mass media. This show will exponentially uh, defeat it in the ratings uh, over the last two hours and for the rest of this week. That much I can say without even knowing what their current numbers are. Sky News, we have far more people watching this show in the course of a week than will watch the comparable uh, program, politics program on, on Sky. Uh, ditto virtually any show on politics in the entire British television media. And they have millions of pounds to spend and indeed in the case of the BBC can send you to jail if you don't pay for them. Uh, so in an era when virtually nobody is buying newspapers, and fewer and fewer people are watching uh, so-called legacy media on the television, that means the informed people, or even just the curious people, are letting their fingers do the walking on their computer keyboards and finding people like us. And that's how thee and me came together, Mike. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, now, let me show you the poll. Uh, CIA, a force for good or evil. It's not changing. Six, good. Four, good. One, good. Three, good. 94, evil. 96, evil. 99, evil. 97, evil. The poll is almost closing and uh, 16,000 people have voted. If you want to record your point of view, get it in now. JV Manila uh, sends 275 Philippine pesos that's a very handsome donation. Uh, £35.58, that works out. Works out at. The CIA is a force for good, but only in the movies. I'm quite sure you won't find the likes of Jason Byrne in that lot in real life. All the best to you, Gayatri and the family. Thank you. God bless. Roar Axdell sends 
25 Norwegian crowns and virtually always does. Roar, I'm very grateful to you. Karim Alnashi, again, every week, £4.99. Thank you, Karim. Shannon Fontaine, £2. Daniela Modus Kutter, a good friend and patron of mine, £2.99. John Kelly, £5. Money for moats and not the BBC. I want truth. Thanks, John. And Bob Jones sends 10 US dollars. Bruce is up early in Adelaide in Australia. Better put him on. He wants to talk about Sudan. Go ahead, Bruce. Uh, yeah, just briefly, George, how are you? Um, By the grace of God, good. Thanks. Go ahead. Well, two or three days ago, about, I say three days at the most, uh, Biden was on the phone to the leader of the um, rebel party in Sudan and offered whatever help he could. And I noticed that today uh, on the YouTube that the American personnel, defence personnel, uh, have, have arrived in Sudan in relation to the um, disturbances over there. I guess we'll see more of that um, disturbances in the Middle East uh, as the US become or try to unsettle the whole situation because they spend $320 million annually budget um, to uh, sponsor uh, disturbances around the world. Um, I was just going back in relation to uh, our... Um, well, what happened in Australia two or three days ago our Reserve Bank of Australia was governed by an independent body and uh, that's all been cancelled now and it's now uh, the independent body will only meet the, the Reserve Bank. Oh, we've lost Bruce in Adelaide. That's a great pity. Let's try and get him back and go on to Joseph in Corby in England uh, who wants to talk about Diane Abbott. Go ahead, Joseph. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about uh, Diane and the whole situation how the media is reacting to it. Yes, uh, well, for people who don't know what we're talking about, uh, Diane Abbott is a former uh, leader, shadow cabinet member in Jeremy Corbyn's uh, leadership. She's a black woman, entered parliament at the same time as me, was a friend of mine for a long time, no longer. And she's in uh, hot water over a letter that she wrote in The Observer. Uh, which she has apologised for, but that has not stopped Keir Starmer uh, suspending her, and I presume uh, later to withdraw uh, the whip from her, and that will be her and Corbyn both out the door. That's what you're ca- t- calling about, Joseph. What's your take on it? That's like a follow-up question, because uh, you know how whenever an old Labour gets in trouble with new Labour, so to speak, it's always about, like, Jewish or Jews or Israel or something related to it. Mm. And mm. I wonder like how... Well, how my, that... yeah, my, my, my problem, Joseph, is I have not, because I'm not in England and you can't read letters in the Observer online, at least I've not been able to find it, uh, the, uh, the letter that she wrote raises a number of questions, uh, all of which demonstrate her utter stupidity. Uh, The first is writing a letter to the Observer in the first place. Who reads the Observer? And who reads letters in the Observer? And who's stupid enough in the context of the last couple of years, the last five years, 
stupid enough to write a letter to the observer which appears to minimize uh, racism against Jews. Now, I haven't seen the letter, so uh, I, I'm conscious that I may be doing her a disservice. But so far in what I've said, I'm not doing her a disservice. Jewish people have suffered anti-Semitism, racism, anti-Jewish racism, anti-Jewish hatred for millennia in Western countries, including in the United Kingdom. Uh, until very recently, until the early 1960s, anti-Semitism, hatred of Jews, would have been more or less the most common form of racism in Britain. Now, quite obviously, with the arrival in Britain of large numbers of black people, of Asian people, of Muslim people, uh, the Jews have slipped down the table of people who are victims of racism. But why would anyone want to make anything of that? That's what I can understand. Not least because in the lifetime of people still alive, six million Jews were industrialized, annihilated, were genocided, were mass murdered. So why would you write a letter to the observer which allows your enemies to come down hard upon you. And that's what she has done. Unless I've got the nature of her letter wrong, I'll leave her letter there, Joseph. But let me add an overarching point. Why is Jeremy Corbyn still in Keir Starmer's Labour Party? Why is Diane Abbott still in it? Why is anybody who is a socialist still in a party that is self-evidently seeking any and every opportunity to root out and extirpate anybody who was associated with the very brief socialist period of Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party? What is this? Masochism? I mean, do you enjoy the pain? Do you enjoy the suffering? Why would you continue to ask people to vote to put Keir Starmer into Downing Street? Which is looking less and less likely in my humble opinion. Why would you do that? Why didn't Jeremy Corbyn, when he was at the height of his powers and popularity, walk out of the Labour Party and bring perhaps 100, maybe 200,000 people with him? Why not? Is he waiting until there's nobody left to follow him out and standing only as an individual, that's just stupid. And I'll go further, it's cowardly. It's cowardly. These people, these leaders, these MPs in the so-called socialist campaign group are cowards. They're not prepared to do, as I did, stand outside the Labour Party fight the Labour Party in elections and defeat the Labour Party in elections as I did not once but twice because they're not prepared. They'd rather keep their salary, which Diane herself once described as a good job, clean, no heavy lifting, decent wages, warm 
in the winter time. Diane, it's not too late, but it's getting there. Thanks, Joseph. Kevin Broom on the email tonight says, on air at moats.tv. George, if you substitute CIA for NATO, the poll would be pretty much the same. Thanks, Kevin. We may well do that. On the line from Germany is Ray on JFK. Go ahead, Ray. Hello, George. I'd like to thank you um, for your show. Can you hear me? Thank you. Yes, very clearly. Go ahead. Okay. Th this is the first time I ever called into a, a show, so my hands are shaking and I'm very nervous. Um, okay. I'm a retired New York City fireman. I uh, was at the Trade Center 10 minutes after the second towel went down, and I knew it was nonsense um, since day one, but that's not the reason for my call. The reason for my call is why we need a JFK, uh, uh, RFK, and Trump, uh, either one of those guys, because then the Democrats can't cheat. No matter who they cheat for, the American people win. And I think they'd rather have Trump because they could manipulate Trump more. Um, I like this guy, Rivek. I'm sure he has great ideas, but he has no idea what he's up against, where RFK does and Donald Trump does. And no matter which one of those two win, then the other one needs to swallow his pride and run as vice P. I think that would uh, unite the Democrats and the Republicans. So now they can't play that game. And uh, I think that's the only chance for America to survive, which in turn the world will survive. And that's the point I wanted to make. Well, you made it very beautifully. Uh, if that's your first uh, time, uh, don't make it uh, long before you make your second one because you very powerfully and movingly uh, intervened on a very important subject that we're debating tonight. I desire only the defeat of Joe Biden, only the defeat of the so-called Democrats, because like the Labour Party in England, like the so-called Social Democrats in Germany, where you're calling from, they are a bigger enemy to the working people than the uh, parties supposedly to the right of them that they claim is the best reason for voting for them. Uh, the lesser of two evils never really appealed to me, and now I could not agree on who is the lesser of the two e evils, Democrat or Republican, Labour or Conservative, SPD against FDP, and the alphabet soup of German politics. So I'm for defeating the worst candidate. And the worst candidate, without a shadow of a doubt, is Joe Biden. For reasons I don't have time to adumbrate tonight, but the most important one, he has brought us to the brink of World War III. And he must not be allowed to keep his increasingly shaky, sclerotic Alzheimer fingers off the nuclear button. Now, given my politics, given my background, I would obviously prefer to see a Kennedy in the White House than a Trump. But if the three of them go into this election, 
in 2024. I think Kennedy will get a very substantial vote from people who would not easily vote for Donald Trump. And Joe Biden would struggle to come second in that presidential campaign. So whatever way it breaks, Biden, for me, has to be defeated. And I think it would be with a sigh of relief that most Democrats would see him gone. Thanks, Ray. Great call. Matt is in Massachusetts. Wants to talk about Ukraine. Go ahead, Matt. Uh, hi. Uh, I just uh, wanted to say that, um, you know, the war in Ukraine is bad. Uh, the thing in Taiwan is bad. But um, if we lose our... Uh, independent uh, news people such as yourself and and others that you have mentioned and have had on the show um, then uh, we're not going to get any good information and uh, we will we'll, we'll lose everything um, uh, with this redact act goes through uh, along with the uh, the central bank money then they can say, well, that's misinformation from England. We're going to block any money going to any of these people, and they can just shut it right off. So uh, the freedom of speech and the freedom to tell the truth is, I think, the uh, most important war that we uh, have to win to be able to win the others. I agree with that uh, very much, uh, Matt. Uh, it's, uh, it's the First Amendment for a reason. Uh, without free speech, you don't have democracy. And if you don't have democracy, you don't have the claimed legitimacy that your state uh, runs on. The United States would cease to be a democratic country if it destroyed freedom of speech and in so doing destroyed um, the First Amendment of its own constitution. So we must fight that. But this is 2023, and soon it will be 2024, and we still have hope of changing things. And because it's 2023 and not 1993 or 2003, uh, it is not possible to shut down the Internet. We will find a way to bring the truth to people. And as long as God gives me breath, I'll continue to do it. And after me, I have, by the grace of God, six children and a young wife, and they'll continue to bring you the mother of all talk shows, even if I suffer some terrible fate. Thank you, Matt. God bless you. Heath is in Florida on 9-11. Go ahead, Heath. Uh, thank you, George. Great show as uh, as always. Um, I've lived in America 20 nice. years. I'm a citizen here now. And um, in in 2001, I was living in Los Angeles when the attack happened. And at the time, I agreed with my wife, let's not go to the cinema anymore because as a terrorist organization, I thought that cinemas and the Hollywood film industry was a really natural target because it was worth $6 billion a year. Mm. But over time, I started to get mm. suspicious because nobody ever attacked the infrastructure of the Hollywood industry. And then a couple of years later, I started to do some of my own research. Um, 
and it was into the into a company called the Ace Elevator Company. And what I found, there's a lot more there's a lot more uh, sort of conspiratorial materials online now. But at the time I did it in 2004, 2005, you could I could not get much information except for the fact that after the 1993 attack on the World Trade Center, where a bomb went off in the basement, they replaced the company that was servicing the elevators. And now it's generally well known that uh, for several months prior to the collapse of the towers in 2001, there was extensive work going on, and the Ace Elevator Company had the contract. And what I found out uh, was that I couldn't find anything else out, out, out about that company, and it was quietly liquidated, I believe, somewhere around 2004, 2005. But I couldn't find any information on the company, the board of directors. But now if you start to research that company, you'll see that there are people that worked at the company uh, who are suspicious of, of who was then brought in to work at the company uh, towards the end of the 90s, early 2000s. So I actually think that that could be, uh, a, you know, that's a canary in the coal mine as to how they would have brought down those towers uh, from, from, from inside. Thanks. Well, uh, I have no idea uh, about the Ace Elevator company. Uh, I don't want to get into a Dominion Fox News uh, type legal battle, so let me say if ace elevators are still out there they're welcome to call the show and rebut the implied uh, criticism of their conduct to say the least uh, in that call but it's very interesting heath i'm sure everyone is now googling ace elevators uh, it just goes to show uh, that the case for a new 9-11 commission uh, is unanswerable there are too many unanswered questions Let's have a new and proper 9-11 commission. And Donald Trump should make that one of his campaigning pledges. And so should Bobby Kennedy Jr. The last few Super Chats now. Nobody sends $7.77. Man must change or die. There is no other course. The world teacher, a.k.a. the Christ, Maitreya, Buddha, Imam, Mahdi, Kalki, Avatar, Messiah, etc. And Nidras sends two pounds. God bless. Getting closer to the truth. Keep it up. And Mark Savage sends five pounds. I don't believe any of the alphabet agencies are a force for good. Love the show too. Thanks, Mark. Sancho Relaxo sends two Canadian dollars. Mike Rupert's crossing the Rubicon, the 9-11 ref. And the amazing Blumpkin, what a great name, sends five dollars. Architects and engineers for 9-11 truth. Well, we have, in fact, had them on the show, not once, but twice. The one and only, he was magnificent the last time he called, Muzaffa from California, but who's actually from Mars. Go ahead, Muzaffa. What would you like to say? Well, my first observation on Earth was in 1949 when I attended a school in the Middle East. The school had approximately a dozen students. Two students named Israel and Palestine, both very good-looking kids, both having straight A grades, unfortunately never seemed to get along. One day during lunch break, things got out of hand. Israel grabbed Palestine's hot lunch plate and threw the plate on Palestine's face. Palestine, out of instinct, reflect action, retaliated by folding his napkin and tossing it towards Israel. Israel intercepted this with his sharp utensils. 
there was a commotion and the principal headmaster whose name tag whose name tag USA and the morality department head with the name tag on the chest Britain came out and immediately without investigating the matter started to scold Palestine for unruly behavior and grounded him for two weeks and then threatened to expel him from the school to add salt to Palestine's wound they ordered a new lunch plate lunch plate for Israel while Israel Britain and the USA's behavior is unjust inhumane and should never be condoned that at the attitude of the other students in the Middle East school who saw the entire incident and never came to the aid of Palestine is equally repulsive. Thankfully, the Middle East students are finally waking up. Now, do you want to know how all this will end? Yes, of course I do. This fight is a boxing match between a heavyweight and a featherweight. There is no limit to the number of rounds the two boxers can fight. The boxer who tires first, and I emphasize, who tires first will lose. It is with sadness and tears that I predict the following. The Israelis will get tired of killing the Palestinians before the Palestinians get tired of being killed. That's it. Well, uh, very powerful and, uh, and uh, poetic and philosophical, Muzaffar. Uh, I'm not sure that you've got the final chapter exactly right, but one thing is for sure, uh, that David defeated Goliath. Uh, no one can dispute that. I have myself been a partisan in the Palestinian cause uh, since the middle of the 1970s. That's a very, very long time. I first visited the Palestinian refugee camps in Lebanon with the editor of this show, Ron Mackay, that's how long we have been friends, in 1977. And I made promises then uh, that I would never leave the Palestinian people standing alone. And I have kept that promise. There have been promises I have broken, but not that one. Uh, and I will until I have no more breath uh, continue to do so. And after me, uh, as I said, I have, by the grace of God, many children. And more importantly than me having many children, uh, when I began campaigning for the Palestinian people in the mid-1970s, there were few of us. You could have fitted us into a very small hall uh, for the whole of Britain. But now, the, the supporters of the Palestinians could fill Hyde Park and have done. And across the world, uh, the supporters have become many millions, many tens of millions. And the shift that's going on in the world, the tectonic shift that we talk about here on the show, cannot but advantage the Palestinian people who have been cruelly left alone by the so-called paragons of civilization and freedom and liberty in what we call the West. I spoke last week uh, at some length about the decline uh, of the West and compared it to the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. I don't propose to repeat all that again. 
let's just say that the evidence since I last spoke to you uh, that the degeneracy uh, of uh, the so-called West and our culture has continued apace, as any viewer of my social media account already knows. I finally have had the fake appellation Russian state media affiliate removed from my uh, Twitter account. It was a fake, it was untrue, it was damaging and therefore defamatory and my legal action against Twitter continues. Although they did have very little in the way of defense, they now have none now that they have removed it. So it would be best, Mr. Musk, that you seek mediation with my legal team uh, because if not, we will take this all the way to the end and we will discover who it was that persuaded the now discredited old management of Twitter to apply that false label upon me. But I'm grateful that since the removal of the label, the number of followers I have on Twitter has leapt by thousands in just a couple of days. In fact, it's going up about 100 per hour right at this moment, which is, of course, evidence that the false label came with a battery of suppressive tools, search bans, ghost bans, algorithmic suppression of all kinds, which kept my following lower than it would have been and kept the audience for my output far, far lower than it would have been. Now that the label has been removed, I can see that many, many people who haven't seen a message from me in a very long time are seeing them and responding to them. It's rare now that uh, any tweet of mine gets less than 100,000 views and some many hundreds of thousands of views. So thank you in part, Mr. Elon Musk, for a modicum of justice, but justice has not yet been done. And your people know the address of my solicitor, KRW Law, brackets, human rights of Belfast, Ireland. It's been marvelous uh, for me. Let me end by thanking the new Patreon legends tonight, Teresa Kelly, Jimbo Eldor Jr., David Nimmo, and Francis Lucero. I'm very, very grateful. To all of you. Please follow me on Patreon. It's the cost of one cup of coffee per week in a very insalubrious cafe. Thank you for joining me. Join me again on Wednesday at 9pm UK time for the midweek mother of all talk shows. Good night.